All right, good morning, church. Good morning, Lifeway LA. That's what you guys are called here, right? And I think I just realized that this is a, this is a cup holder. Put my water right there. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, it's good to be back with you guys this morning. I counted the days. It's been 154 days since the last time I've been here in church with you guys. Here, a lot has happened since that time. School has ended, and school has started back again. You know, Tom Cruise, he, he came out with another Mission Impossible movie since that time. And uh, the biggest thing that has happened in my life since the last time I, I was here is my son was born. All right, I got a, I got a picture. There he is, right there in his Lakers uniform, as you guys can see. All right, that's my son there. We won a free photo shoot, and uh, we had to put him in a Lakers uniform. You got to start them while they're young. Is that right or is that wrong? That's right. Boo to you if you're not a Lakers fan. Shout out to the Lakers fan there. Here goes another picture of him uh, right there, looking behaved and self-controlled. Uh, you know, time has flown by. He's five weeks old now, uh, and life with him has been exciting and exhausting. All right, this is the exhausting part of living with my son. His name is Drew. Uh, my wife is back home with him uh, this morning. They tried to come this morning, but he threw a fit before we left the house, and, and she just had to stay back with him this morning. Um, and so uh, I'll give you a heads up. If I space out during uh, the sermon, uh, just know just to give me some grace, all right, and forgive me in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, because I'm living with a newborn, and this is the first time I've done this ever before in my life, all right, but are you guys ready for the Word of God? Oh, come on, y'all can do better than that. Are y'all ready for the Word of God? There we go. See, I need to know, because I got some good stuff for you today, all right, I got some exclusive material for you this morning. The Antelope Valley, where I'm from, they haven't even heard this stuff yet. There's some privileged information. All right, and so before I introduce the title of the, the lesson today, can I introduce the topic through a scripture? Is that okay? All right, so please join me there. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. It's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to read this. We're going to let the anticipation and the suspense of what we're going to talk about this morning build up. All right, so Revelation 2, starting in verse 3. You guys there? It says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. I don't know about you, but I love this scripture right here. I love this passage. I like this scripture because this is the kind of faith that I want to have when I stand before God. When I stand before God and Jesus in his throne, this is the faith that perseveres. This is the faith that endures through hardship for the name of Jesus. Right, and I want to have this faith, that faith that doesn't grow weary in spite of all the struggles and the hardships and the challenges that life has to offer. All right, and you can read scriptures from this. You know, we're reading from the back of the Bible, but you can read scriptures on this topic from the book of Genesis, right, from the beginning of the Bible. The Bible is plain, and it, as it tells us that life within the bracket and with, within the realm of Christianity, it has its fair share of hardships. It has its fair share of trials. And many times in the Bible, the theme of hardship, setbacks, and, and struggles, and, and adversity, they're illustrated through storms. Have you guys ever heard that before? Right? The Bible illustrates this through storms. All kind of books, sermons, and churches today talk about the setbacks and the hardships in life through the image of storms. And, and scriptures, they warn us and they tell us that if we're not careful, these storms, these, these hardships, and these setbacks, they can ruin everything that we've worked to build in our relationship with God. 
And so we have to make sure that we're cautious moving forward. And, and, and I don't know about you, but in a life full of storms, in a life full of trials and setbacks, and again, these storms, I don't know about you, but I want my faith to be what the title of the lesson is today, and that is weatherproof. All right, tell your neighbor, turn to him and say, I want my faith to be weatherproof. I want my faith to be weather. I don't know about you, but, but when life throws its storms at me, I don't want my faith to be capsized. I don't want my faith to drown. I like that scripture in Revelation. I want my faith to persevere. And I want my faith to endure in the name of Jesus. And if you're with me on that, say amen. amen. If you're with me on that, say that again. Say amen. 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 And if you want your faith to be weatherproof and withstand these storms, please join me. In Mark chapter 5, we're going to start there in verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read of an interaction that, that Jesus has with a man that illustrates this point in the topic of our time together today in a dynamic way. All right, so, so Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. You guys there? Front row is there. Reese is there. All right, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. And verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from a distance. And we got to stop there because that's some good stuff written there in verse 6. All right, this is the first time that this man, he saw Jesus, but I don't think this is the first time that Jesus saw this man. If you, this, this account, as it mentions in verse 1, it's from this Gentile region known as the Gerasenes. And if you were to take a tour of this land, Right, it's referred to as the Holy Land today. Your tour guide might bring you to a place where this passage in Scripture, this moment, actually happened. And if you went there, and if you stood there where this scene in Scripture happened, across the water, you would see a mountain. You would see a mountain where Jesus, he would often withdraw to pray. And Jesus, he would often go there by day and by night to pray and spend time with God. And it's very possible that the sound of this man's cry traveled across that sea, went to the top of the mountain where Jesus was praying. And Jesus heard this man crying out to him. And when Jesus was up early in the morning, this man, he was up late. And Jesus, when he was up early praying to God in the morning, this man, he was up late crying. And, and maybe one morning, and may, maybe it was this morning, right? This morning, this, this exact moment that this scripture is taking place after hearing this man's cry. One more time from that mountain, Jesus, he may have decided today is the day that I make my way to heal this man and to stop this man from his pain and his anguish. No more crying through the day. No more crying for this man through the night. What does that tell us today about Jesus? Well, that tells us that Jesus is on the way. Jesus is on the way, just like this man. Could it be that God has heard your cry? God has heard your cry. He's heard your prayers. He's seen your tears. He knows your petitions and the needs of your heart. And he had you come to church today because this is the day that he wants to set you free. Today he wants to heal you. Today he wants to touch you. Today he wants to change whatever that is in your life. 
that you're going through. Whatever that storm is for you, today he wants to show you how significant you are to his heart and to his mind. And church, we got to see that there's a power behind these words, that Jesus is on the way, that we're going to need if we're going to make it through the storms in our life and the craziness that life throws at us. See, when you understand that Jesus is on the way, there's no storm that this world can put you in that Jesus won't show up in the midst of. Jesus, he is on the way. Tell that to your neighbor. Say, Jesus is on the way. And I don't know about you, but, but I need the on the way Jesus. I, I, I like the on the way Jesus, and I love the on the way Jesus. And if you're with me on that, say amen. 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 Let's keep reading here. Verse 6. Back to verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and, and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. And in verse 10, he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And before we continue, I want to say don't be so quick to write yourself out of the shoes of this man here. It's easy for us to read this scripture and, and completely separate ourselves from this man. And, and it's a lot of times that's due to his situation. He's living, the scripture says, amongst the tombs. He's living amongst the dead and he's cutting himself with stones. And it's, it's easy for us to, to read this scripture and say, well, well, I got problems, but I'm not as bad as this man. His situation is a lot worse than mine. But don't be so quick to say that there's no legion in you. You may demonstrate him differently, but the dynamic is the same. You know, the passage says that they would chain him up and, and he would break the chains and they couldn't hold him anymore. And, and that would lead him to hurt himself. And can you honestly stand before God? And say that there's no area in your life that you lack self-control in. Or if you lack control in. I, I know that, that there's some legion in me. And, and I don't mean demonic possession. That was troubling to be here preaching to you this morning. But I know I have some chains in my life. And I have some areas in my life that I need to gain control over. I, I can be selfish. And, and I, have, I have this sneaky pride about myself. And that's the worst kind of pride that you can have. And my selfishness and my pride, it comes out in my marriage. And now it's starting to come out in my parenthood. And, and those are two ways for me. But if you ask my wife, she'll list to you about a ten, list of ten more ways and things right, that I need to gain control over in my life. But what about you? What's the area in your life that you're out of control in? Is it your spending? Is it your sexuality? Is it drunkenness? Is it your lying? If, if I kept going long enough, I bet I can say what it is for you. Why? Because we're all like this man in this scripture. That the Bible says that his name is Legion, you know, which is a, 
a group of 6,000 foot soldiers. But in this case, it's 6,000 demons that were possessing this man. And, and he says that, that we are many. And I think that speaks to the many different personas that you and I can have today. There's online you. There's Sunday morning you. And that's the side of you most of us only get to see. But there's Friday night you. There's the you that only you know. There's the you that only your spouse knows. And there's a you, there's a side of you that cries out day and night, just like this man here in the scripture. You know, the Bible says that he cuts himself with rocks. And, and maybe you don't cut yourself with stones, but sometimes you inflict, in, inflict pain on yourself. By, by thinking negative things, by living outside of the will of God in the direction that God lays out for us in the scriptures, and also by looking for love in, in all the wrong places. We're all like this man here. It says that he lived amongst tombs, and for this man, his tombs were the graveyard. But in this room, some of us, we live among the tombs of insecurity, in the tomb of greed. And like I mentioned earlier, the tomb of selfishness, we all have some of this man in us today. But, but in spite of all this, the lack of self-control, the many personas, the self-inflicted wounds in the tombs, Jesus, he still makes his way to this man. None of that about that man stopped Jesus from making that decision to cross the sea and to heal him and remove him from the situation that he was in. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. And that should get you excited as well. It should get you excited because that means no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you failed in or fell, fall short in, as long as you are on this planet, you are never outside the jurisdiction of Jesus. The Bible says the arms of the Lord, they're not too short to save. And we sang about it earlier. There's no shadow that he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up. And there's no wall he won't kick down. He's not ashamed of the negative parts to ourselves in our lives. He'll cross an ocean in a storm to get to this man legion. And he'll do the same thing all over again for you and for me. And I think this is a good time in the sermon for someone to say amen. Amen, amen to Jesus being on his way. Let's keep reading. We're still in chapter 5, verse 11. It says, a large herd of pigs were feeding on a nearby hillside. And so we're not in Jewish territory anymore. Now, Jesus, he's made his way. Je Jewish territory wouldn't have a large herd of pigs. It doesn't happen in their regions or their lands. And so Jesus, he's left his home turf. He's left his home base of Capernaum, and he's crossed over. All right, that's important. He's crossed over. Say that to your neighbor. Say crossed over. Right, and so now he's in this Gentile territory in the region of the Gerasenes. And, and there's this large herd of pigs. And, and the Bible, it picks up in verse 12. It says, the demons, they beg Jesus. Now send us among the pigs. Allow us to go in and out. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, they rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending to the pigs ran off and reported this in the town in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man 
who had been possessed by, by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and told all about the pigs as well. In verse 17, then the people began to, to plead with Jesus. And they told Jesus to leave. Tried to send Jesus away. And, and have you guys ever heard that word epiphany before? Y'all heard that before, right? You guys know what that word epiphany means, right? It means like you realize something, right? Your brain cells decided to work and show up, right? And connected two things together and it made sense. All right, and I share that with you this morning to say that, that yours truly, last week, I had an epiphany. All right, my brain cells decided to work, connected some things, and, and I want to share with you what I realized this past week. I want to share that with you guys this morning. Is that okay? You guys still with me? All right, the thing that I realized last week is that I have always poured my cereal in the bowl before the milk. Always. There's never been a time where I reversed the order and poured the milk in before the cereal. All right, every time I grab my go-to box of cereal, right, whether it's golden grams, right, or honey bunches of oats, or, or even some raisin bran. I love me some raisin bran. I know you guys too secretly. When I was a kid, I used to be ashamed to admit that, all right, because everyone else liked the Cocoa Puffs or the Reese's Puff cereal, all right, but in my household, we were healthy, and, and my son's going to be healthy as well, and so I learned to like Raisin Bran, and he's going to learn to like some Raisin Bran, all right, but this epiphany, it came to me, I realized this as I was watching this show, some show on Amazon Prime, all right, and the show on Amazon Prime, one of the characters right, who, who played the role of a psychopath, this crazy person poured his milk in the bowl before the cereal. Right, and sitting there watching that, I realized this show is saying that people who pour in the milk before the cereal are crazy. <laughs> right, and so that reassured me that I'm in my right mind because I do the opposite. And so after seeing that, after having that epiphany, I, I had to check in with my wife. So I asked her, I said, hey, cereal before the milk or milk before the cereal? And praise God, she said cereal first. My wife has a good head on her shoulders. Right after that, I left. I went into the next room, got down on my knees and prayed, God, help my son to develop the part of the brain that's going to help him pour the cereal in before the milk. And, and if that's you, if you pour in the milk before the cereal, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you're crazy. Amazon Prime is saying that you're crazy. All right, you got to take that up with them. All right, and, and I bring this up because that suggests an order of sequence in the correct order of things. All right, and I bring that up because in order for us to fully understand this interaction that Jesus is having with this man, we got to go back to chapter 4. We can't just start at chapter 5. There's a correct order of things. We got to go back and read about the storm that came before the miracle. And if we discuss chapter 5, Without discussing chapter 4, we're going to be pouring the milk in before the cereal. So let's avoid that this morning. Let's go to chapter 4. Let's not be Amazon Prime crazy in church and start reading in verse 35. All right, chapter 4, verse 35. All right, Mark 4, verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Notice he doesn't tell them why. Notice Jesus, he doesn't give 
the disciples the reason why they're going over to the other side. He doesn't say, I've got this appointment. He doesn't say, hey, there's someone on this other side that, that needs my healing. He doesn't tell them why. All he says is, hey, let's head out and let's go. Question, can you trust God when you don't know why, when you don't know what, and when you don't know how? Do you follow by faith or do you follow by questioning everything that God has going on in your life? You know, see, by nature, we're people, we don't, as people, we don't like to be inconvenienced. Or we, we don't like that person that asks us for that ride at the last minute. The event starts at 7.30, you on the phone with me at 7.28 asking to be picked up. That's an inconvenience. We don't like that. We don't like it when people ask us for a bite of our food. It's an inconvenience. We, we as people, we don't like these things. And, and it's inconvenient not to know why the storm is happening. Not to know what God is doing or how God is moving. But oftentimes, the, the greatest displays of God's power come at the most inconvenient moments and times in our lives. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were in a fiery furnace. That's pretty inconvenient to be in a fiery furnace. But they were in that furnace before God showed up and shielded them from the flames. And if you know your scripture, the gospel, or in the gospel, the, the disciples, they tried to send the 5,000 people away. Because all they had to feed them was, was five loaves and two fish. It's very inconvenient to, to feed a large group of people for the limited supply. But at that inconvenient time, Jesus worked. God's power showed up. Everyone was fed, and they had baskets full left over. And, and the full display of God's power wants to see if you really trust God or do you trust everything going according to your plans. Which of the two do you trust more? Everything going according to schedule or the power of God showing up when everything in your life seems to be inconvenient? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. And your willingness to be faithful to God and to persevere like Revelation talks about, and to endure in the storms, a lot of times it's hinged on you ask, answering this question and being faithful to God when you don't know why, when you don't know what, and when you don't know how. That's how faithful you'll be. Let's keep reading. Mark 4, verse 36, it says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. In verse 37, it says, A furious squall, that's just a prestigious word for storm, all right. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly uh, swamped. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And there's a principle within this text that we as people of God, we can't afford to miss. Right? I, I said earlier, you got to remember that point of crossing over. And that's important because you can't cross over without conflict. You can't cross over without conflict. That's exactly what we see here. Jesus, he's moving the mission forward. He's moving forward in the call of God. And, and just like how some of you guys in this room are doing in your life, you're moving forward into the things of God. You're beginning to move forward and you're crossing over in your values. You're adopting Christian morals and you're living your life by the direction of the scriptures. You're changing your circle and you've begun to prioritize the things of God and the things that God wants you to live by. But you have to remember, whenever you make God your priority, Satan is always going to send a storm. A storm is always going to come. You can't cross over without conflict. It, is, it has never been in the devil's character to let you go without a fight. 
The devil never wants to let up any ground. He didn't let Israel leave Egypt without sending the chariots to chase him down. And he won't let you leave your past for a future with God without sending some trouble. And see, there's this sharp contrast in Scripture in the message of Jesus that conflicts with the message, the prosperity message of the religious world today. Right, and that, 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 that teaching is that Anytime you surrender to the lordship of Christ, you can always expect conflict to come. And that might be why your life is so hard. Things with God aren't always going to be bliss. I know we like that and I know we want that, but it's not always going to be paradise. That's what the religious world says. And a lot of us initially, we come into our walk with God expecting God to take care of all of our problems and to calm all of our storms. But Christianity does not guarantee the complete absence of storms, setbacks, hardships, failures, and issues in our lives because the pursuit of heaven always attracts the prejudice of hell. Always, all the time, that may be why you're reminded of all your failures. This may be why there's breakdowns in your family. And this may be why there seems to be so many setbacks in your life. And here in the scripture, Satan, he sends a storm over the sea in chapter 4 to prevent Jesus from healing this man in chapter 5. Because hatred always lurks within the proximity of hope. Hatred always lurks in the proximity of hope. And, and I know some of you right now are probably thinking, Amir, how did you know that, that the devil started this storm? There's no footnote in my Bible that tells me that. How'd you know this, Amir? Maybe it's just global warming. <laughs> or maybe it's just climate change. All right, but look at verse 39. Let's read what it says in verse 39. It says, he got up, being Jesus, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet and be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The scripture says Jesus, he rebuked the wind just like he rebuked demons all throughout the Gospels. And so that leads me to believe that the same demonic oppression that was in this man in chapter 5 showed up in the sea that day, in that morning, and was preventing Jesus from healing this man and trying to set and sabotage the agenda that Jesus had for that day. And, and see, so we got to understand that the way our enemy works. we got to understand that he's strategic and he's crafty. Right, and you get that illustration from the book of Genesis in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've got to understand that he thinks things through, and he thinks these storms through before he sends hardships and tough times in our lives. Yet in spite of all the, the storms and the tough times that we've had, and even just thinking that he put things in your family line, he put things in your ancestry that should have held you back and kept you from being in church this morning. Why? Because he strategizes and he's crafty. But in spite of all the storms that had your name on him, in spite of all the winds and the waves and the setbacks and the dysfunction and the attacks, look where you are today. Look where you are. You're in church. You're in the Bible. You're taking notes. You're praising God. You actually sing when the worship team is up here leading us in worship. And you're looking forward to a better and a brighter day. Look how you made it. Someone clap up for God and clap up for yourself. You outwit Satan. And you fought past the storms. 
And you made it, and, and you must be important. And you're not important because of all the money that you have. Amen. Praise God for that. You're not important for the car that you drive. Praise God again for that. I drive a Honda CRV and a hatchback 2005 Ford Focus that started off yellow, but I couldn't drive that yellow car around, so I spray painted it black. <laughs> Thank God that we're not defined and our importance isn't measured by our money and by the cars that we drive or the friends that we have. Right? You're important. And follow me here, you're important because of your storm, right? The, your significance is measured by the storm. The storms in your life, they should tell you something about how valuable you are and how your assignment is key in the kingdom and to the kingdom of God. And, and why is that? Why is your significance measured by the storm? Because nobody puts pressure on what isn't valuable. Value invites pressure. All right, I'll tell you something, and I promise you this, that, you know, we all know Freddie, and we all love Freddie, and, and I love Freddie with the love of Jesus, right? But I promise you that if Freddie, if he showed up to play against the Lakers, again, shout out to the Lakers, if he showed up to play against the Lakers, LeBron's not going to guard him, all right? No, no one on the team is going to make the decision to guard Freddie, all right? They may let Freddie do whatever he wants to do on the court. And the, and, the, and the question is, is why? Because you, you only guard who's valuable. <laughs> you, you only guard those who are in a position to score. And I love Freddie a lot. And he gets it. And he gets it. But you, the point is, your importance is measured by the pressure that comes from the opposition. And the same is true spiritually. Satan, he doesn't start a storm for someone that he's not threatened by or someone that he's in, not intimidated by. Oftentimes, the struggles in your life, they measure how significant you are to the mission in the kingdom of God. And why? Because Satan, he knows what you're capable of. He knows what you have the ability to do. And a lot of times, he knows your destiny more than you know your destiny. And that, and that may be why life is so hard. That may be why it's so challenging, and that's why it's, it's so tough at times when we go through storms, because your position to execute the purpose of God is so threatening to the enemy. Why? Because the storms measure your significance. Tell your neighbor, the storm means I'm important. Say it again. The storm means I'm important. And see, this is re reframing and and in the same vein, let me also say this. If, if Satan starts up storms for those who he's threatened by and for those who he's intimidated by, shouldn't you be concerned if your life is storm-free? This is something we don't think about a lot of times because typically we consider it a blessing when everything is going according to our plans. And when everything is going right in our life, we associate that with the blessing of God. And God is hearing me, and, and God is answering my prayers. And I'm sure there's some truth to that, but within your walk with God, if everything is always clear skies and, and everything is, is always rainbows, could that mean that you don't contribute much value to the mission of God? Could that mean that your faith isn't very intimidating to the enemy? See, in the book of Acts, a lot of us know it says that the demons, they knew Paul. And they knew what he was capable of. And they knew what he had the ability to do. And since they knew how much of a valuable asset he was to the kingdom of God, they attempted to make his life a nightmare. 
And if you know your Bible, you know all the chaos that Paul went through. And see, this is all reframing. Marks chapter 4 and, and chapter 5, they're all about reframing the way that we see storms in our lives. It can be common to believe that the storm means that, that God has left us. And it's common to believe that the storms and the hard times in our lives, that means that God is disciplining us. But that's not the message that Mark is trying to get us to see here. And the point that he's making, he's saying that, look, the storms don't always mean that God has left you. But maybe the storms mean that you may be so righteously involved in your relationship with God that Satan storms your life because he sees you as a threat. And this is perfectly illustrated in the life of this man here. The devil, he wouldn't tie you up if he was afraid of what would happen if you got loose. And so here in this scripture, Satan, he has this man, he's isolated from everything and everyone. He's living amongst this graveyard. He's possessed by, by 6,000 demons. And, and then this storm is sent to keep Jesus from getting to this man. Why? Because Satan, he's strategic in what he does. And, and the question is, is why would Satan go to such extremes to keep this man away from everything and everyone? I mean, it's pretty extreme to give someone 6,000 demons. That's a high number. That's, that's a lot more than 10. That's a lot more than one. All right, so the question is, 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 is why? And I think it's because he knew this man's purpose. He knew what this man had the ability to do. And he knew that way before it was written in the rest of Mark chapter 5. So let's go back over there to Mark chapter 5. We're going to close out with where we started. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 18. Mark 5, verse 18, it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, past tense, no longer possessed, Jesus made his way and he healed him. And this man begged Jesus to go with him. Jesus, don't leave me here. I'm coming with you. That's like if you got in my car when I took off to go home. I'm here, I'm coming with you. All right, this man says, Jesus, don't leave me here. I was possessed and going through a lot here. Take me with you. Verse 19, it says, Jesus, let him come. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that. You would think that Jesus would let him come, but verse 19 says, Jesus did not let him. And he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he has had upon you. Verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people who were trying to get rid of Jesus, all the people who initially were afraid, the Bible says that all the people were what? They were amazed. And so the question is, why, why did Satan isolate this man? Why did he chain him up? Why did he possess him with 6,000 demons? And why did he start a storm in the sea? Because this man, he was destined to become a missionary in the Decapolis. Right? That word Decapolis means 10 cities. It was 10 cities within the Roman Empire that this man went to reach out to. And so this man here becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. If you know your Bible, you know that Paul was called to reach out to the Gentiles. But way before Paul was called to do that, Jesus made his way to lead this man 
and help this man and to call him to reach out to the Gentiles. And Satan knew that. And so Satan threw these storms in his life. And, and, and scholars, they estimate, a lot of them are mixed with this, but, but the, the majority of scholars, they estimate that the sum total of the population in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, was at least, at least a million people. At most, it was upwards of 10 million people. So not only did Satan know that this man was going to change the spiritual atmosphere of 10 cities, Satan knew that this man was, was going to influence probably at least a million people throughout those 10 cities with his story and his life. And that's why Satan sent the storm, to sabotage this man's significance to the kingdom of God and the mission of God. And Satan, he hasn't changed. He attacks us the same exact way as he attacked this man here. And we all have our fair share of storms ahead of us. And so we all have a decision that we have to make this morning. Because the storms can wreck your praise, or your praise can weather the storms. Right? The enemy, he likes to chain us up. And he likes to storm us out. But if we remember that we serve an on-the-way Jesus, if we remember to trust God in spite of not knowing how, what, or how he's going to do things, or, or who he's going to do it by, or why he's going to do it, or why he's allowing us to go through what we're going through. If we remember that crossing over always brings conflict. But that conflict, that's a storm that measures how significant we are to the kingdom and the heart of God, if we remember Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5, and the reframing is trying to teach us in relation to these storms, we as a group and we as a church, we're going to have weatherproof faith, and we'll be able to make it any, through any storms that come our way. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. At this time, I'm going to close this out with a word of prayer. So please join me. Uh, it's four minutes past 1130. I'm sorry. I kept you in four minutes. Longer than usual. All right. But if uh, you have kids being watched and, and being taught in the classes, please go pick them up um, right after this prayer. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, for Jesus and everything that he is for us. Thank you for church today and, and how we were able to see Jesus work phenomenally in the life of Emmanuel and, and through the storms in his life and everything that he went through and, and the disorder and, and things not going according to his plan, God. But it's so encouraging to see that, that he was an illustration of everything that we read through today and this morning. God, I pray, God, that we can be weatherproof like this man Legion was and and how Emmanuel was. And we can remember that you're on the way. That the storms measure how significant we are. And, and that we're still called to trust you. Because we're never outside your jurisdiction. Thank you God for this morning and everything that you've done for us in our lives. Thank you God for allowing the parents to go get the kids. In your son's name we pray. Amen.